Hello, this is Ned Stark. You're listening to the Derpy Podcast. I've never fancied the milk of the puppy myself, but I understand it's a lure. Stay strong, Derpy Nation. And toodles. episode of Dopey, the podcast on drugs, addiction, and other dumb shit, is brought to you by our friends at Aloe Recovery. Aloe Recovery is located in sunny Southern California, founded by our good friend Bob Forrest and his friend Evan and their friend Bob, and their mission was to create a program that made addicts feel comfortable and respected, so that when you were fucked and you went to Aloe, you felt like you were well cared for. I went to a million places and never felt particularly well cared for, or very rarely. Um, Aloe uh, offers a very, very safe and comfortable detox. They offer years and years and years of treating co-occurring mental health disorders, and they have more beautiful amenities, anemones. They don't have sea anemones at Aloe. They have amenities. They have more beautiful amenities than you can shake a stick at. They got horseback riding and sound bath meditation and fucking surfing. Um, I say if you're fucked and you're in California and you need a place to go, go to Aloe. This episode is also brought to you by our friends at Just Coffee Co-op. I'm drinking a cup of Just Coffee Coffee right now. I have it iced. It's the extra dark blend. It is delicious. I've been French pressing it. I'm at my dad's house right now. I'm dripping it. I'm going to read the side of the bag. I love the side of the bag. The side of the bag. The bag is beautiful, by the way. I'm drinking the Revolution Roast. It's revolutionary delicious. The logo is some sort of Rage Against the Machine star with a dude with a wrench. It says, since the start, we've done business the right way. Certifications and stamps of approval are not enough. We do it for the satisfaction of building relationships between small-scale farmers, their communities, our co-op, our customers, and our community. Doing justice to bring beans... I'm sorry. Doing justice to beans and beings is our durable promise. That's who we are. That's who we'll always be. And that's Just Coffee Co-op. If you put in Dopey Pod, you will save money. Um, And you'll be supporting the brand. I'm going to throw a picture up of what a dopey blend of the coffee would look like. So if you want to support the show, go to justcoffee.coop, enter Dopey Pod, and get some delicious coffee. And here is the show. Welcome to Dopey, the podcast about drugs, addiction, and other dumb shit. And I'm Dave. And, like, 
there's this whole thing. I mean, it's not even a thing, but I, I've been reading Reddit more than I should, perhaps. And somebody wrote, whatever happened to when Dave used to say, and other dumb shit instead of just and dumb shit. And the funny thing about this is that it's something I think about all the time. Back in the day when we started making the show, me and Chris, I, I don't think we said, you know, dopey the podcast on drugs, addiction, and dumb shit for a while. And I think in the beginning I did say another dumb shit, but I never liked the way it sounded compared to and dumb shit. But this Reddit guy really likes the way other dumb shit sounds. He thinks it's good shtick. So that was a tribute to that Reddit guy. And uh, and hello, everybody. I hope you guys are well. Um, I'm good. It was my birthday last week, as you guys are well aware. And I want to tell you a funny story about what happened last week for my birthday. Um, it was last Saturday. And unfortunately, I had to work on my birthday. But where I work... It's like part of the deli workers union contract that everybody that works there is entitled to a birthday cake. Now, that might be in the contract, but I've worked there for many, many years, and I think I've gotten one cake. And I really like it when people celebrate my birthday. Like, it's a big deal to me. I like it. I like the attention. I like feeling like I have friends. I like the whole thing. And... But I, I, I'm also trying to mitigate my expectations. And I'm like, they're not going to get you the cake, but that's okay. You know, it's okay. And um, I remember one year I had to ask for the cake and they still didn't give me the cake. And I threw a fit. And I was like, this year, I'm not going to throw a fit and I'm not going to ask for the cake. I'm going to be okay with whatever happens. It was like my sober birthday promise to myself. And um, I was feeling pretty good. It was my birthday. Um, I don't know. The show was, was out. I was feeling good. I had friends coming over on Sunday, like old friends, people that you guys know from the show came over. Jim came over, Greg came over and Devin came over and their wives and kids. So Saturday I was just kind of soaking it in and, and doing a really, really crazy shift. So I'm working and all I can think about is don't think about your birthday. Don't think about your birthday. And everyone's like, Hey, the birthday boy, blah, 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 blah. Um, I want a big piece of cake, blah, blah, blah. And I was just like, dude, we're probably not going to get any cake. And, uh, and my dad shows up at, uh, at the restaurant and he's carrying this big bag with a cake in it. And he's like, I brought you a cake for your birthday and you could share it with the guys in the store. And I said, no, we're not going to eat that cake. We're not going to give that cake to the guys in the store because the boss owes me a cake and I'm going to have the, 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 the store's cake. I don't want your cake. And then the manager even said, don't worry, Alan, go home. Um, we're going to buy him a cake. So, and my dad was smart enough to say, you're not going to buy him a cake. And I said, yes, they are. They're going to buy me a cake. And, um, and he leaves. And, um, and again, I just keep my shit together and I don't ask for the fucking cake. And I, but I'm still in the back of my head. I'm expecting the cake. And, uh, and time passes and now it's four o'clock and there's still no cake. And everybody's like, Oh, happy birthday. Where's the cake? Where's the cake? And I'm like, I'm not gonna fucking blow my, my cool. I'm not going to lose my cool and, and demand the cake. And, um, so I keep working, I keep working. And now it's six and one of them, and I'm working till eight. I work from nine in the morning till eight o'clock at night waiting tables. I probably walked nine miles in this deli. Um, and the guy 
uh, the manager says, oh, what time are you leaving? And I said, I don't know. It's getting slow. You know, meaning like if you're going to give me the cake, you should give it to me soon. And he's like, don't worry, blah, blah, blah. And I, I keep working. I sing happy birthday to somebody else. This this nice man, his name was Randolph. I got the whole store to sing him happy birthday. And then it's 7 o'clock and there's no cake. And the restaurant has gotten quiet. And I'm like, fuck this. And I... I just couldn't contain myself anymore. And I just start screaming like, where's my cake? If I was Dominican, I would have gotten a fucking cake. Everybody in this place gets a cake, but me, where's my cake. And, um, but I tried to play it off as a joke, but I was very upset. And, uh, so I leave after I threw the whole fit and I, and I had blown my cool and, uh, and I make it like two blocks and there's a text on my phone and somebody at work sent me a picture of a cake that said, Happy Birthday, David, on it. And he said, it was in the freezer the whole time. We forgot to take it out. And I was like, oh, my God. And they were like, you can have it tomorrow. And I was like, I'm not coming in tomorrow. And then I rose to the occasion. And I said, you guys enjoy my cake. And that's my birthday story. So before we get to uh, the interview, I just want to thank my buddy, Harold, uh, who did the uh, the punk rock music at the front? Harold's a friend uh, I met in treatment a million years ago, and we have a deal, which is when I play his jingle, I will mention his Instagram account, which is Health Collective Six Six Six. Me and Harold have this uh, shirt on the way, so look for that soon. I've always loved Harold, love his music, love the guy, big fan. So this week's guest is this guy. His name is AJ Delario. He was the editor-in-chief of Deadspin and Gawker, and uh, he was the the center of this crazy controversy regarding Hulk Hogan. He put out a sex tape uh, of Hulk Hogan without his permission and uh, and got sued for $115 million. There was this crazy documentary on Netflix about it. And, um, you know, I think AJ, like, put himself through the ringer, and, uh, and he wanted to tell his story on Dopey. And so here is AJ Delario. Good evening. Thank you for calling the Kinson Everly. This is Billy. How many is this you? I'm trying to get to room 1520. All righty. Do you have the last name on the room? It should be Delorio. Delorio. All right. Let me take the look. Perfect. I can connect to you one moment. Thanks. Hello. Hey, man. How you doing? I'm good. How are you? I just got your fancy pants uh, hotel receptionist on the show. <laughs> well, it's your fancy pants hotel receptionist. I'm doing this for you. We've made this clear that you're not doing it for me I told you don't do it for me I told you the FaceTime audio is good enough You said, and I think it was a euphemism For taking a shit That you have to drop your kids off at the pool No (laughs) That's what he said I actually came here With my young children Because the the pool here is is quite lovely And, you know they, They love to be in the water So I figure, like, at the same time, it would benefit them and it would benefit you. But I thought of the idea because of you. You're not, you're not Jewish, right? No. 
But this is very, very, very palpable guilt you're playing with here. This is a serious. It's. I told you not to do it for me. Doing it for me is. It's fine. T- I. I'm. I'm. I'm a. I'm a, you know, I'm a supporter of the show. I'm a patron. I, I. I call you and tell you that when you're doing things great, I, I make you know some some minor suggestions about how to make it better. And I'm basically here for you. And the last time we spoke, you said the audio was terrible. And I didn't want to put you through that again. So I, I, I made doubly sure that it wouldn't happen this time. Wow, you're and really... I, I, mean, I, I, I think I, I, I want to just say thank you. And before that, I want to yeah, introduce you. I, I, want to, I want to do what you said not to do. I want to read your Wikipedia page. I'm into it. Great, yeah. This is and and it, is it AJ Delario or Delorio? No, it's it's it's, Dele, it's Delario. There's an E. There's no O. And there's what do you mean Delorio? Why do you say Delorio? I don't know. It's D A U L E R I O. Delario. Yes. I've been saying it wrong this whole time. All right, we can we can do this again. We can try you know in a couple weeks and. I want you to get a nicer I hotel if, you do. if we do it again I want a nicer hotel Well if I do it again I'll just fly out To Where are you Staten Island Oh stop it Is that a joke <laughs> Do you know about Staten Island uh, um, You know Staten Island no, you're, you're in Long Island right you're, yeah. you're like in You're in the fishy parts I'm in deep deep Long Island Now AJ Delario is a uh, is an infamous character, an infamous recovery character. Uh, he's most well known for being the editor, the ex editor in chief of the X. What'd you call? what you call Gawker? A blog? A website? What is it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I guess either one works. Uh, of Gawker and his his crazy uh, claim to fame was uh, getting sued by uh, the Hulkster Terry Baleo. Um, Hulk Hogan for releasing a sex That's tape of it. Terry Balea with an A. There's no O. <laughs> Terry Balea. It's clear that you're prejudiced against Italians. So it might be. My wife is Italian, so I, I don't think so. Um, but but either way, AJ is now a uh, a fine and fit uh, reco- a brother in recovery. He has a a beautiful recovery based newsletter called the Small Bow, and um, and welcome to the show, man. Thank you. It's, uh, it's I, I really wanted to be on the show for about six months when I first heard about it. And we have our mutual friend Joe Schrank, who you have on a lot, I believe. I think I've had um, him on thrice. Oh, really? Well, okay. But I mean, you know, he he said good things, and um, you know, I, I I obviously became a I think more of a super fan after the NPR piece, and then uh, you know, I've been a little obsessive about it. But I mean, mostly I just like you know I'm obsessive about it to critique you. Unfortunately, I mean we've kind of I feel like we've started off kind of just like having this combative relationship. But I think that'll work well for this interview. I'm hopeful, at least. Well, I wanted to start with 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 the initial conversation that we had because it might have been the best conversation I've ever had with anyone. Where you just said such <laughs> great things about the show and me. So why don't why don't you talk about why you love the show before we talk about you? Yeah. 
No, I'd be I'd be happy to do that because I mean I think that uh, you know what what you do in this space and you know I I I think we talked about a little more a little bit about what I considered the Mount Rushmore of like the recovery kind of content or entertainment space and they're usually the the typical people most of the people you've had on this show and you've been on their show. I won't name names. I think people will know who they are. But, um, you know, your show, in both of its iterations, both when, when, when Chris was alive, you know, was basically the idea that I had heard in, in rehab from a lot of people, where I thought it would be a good idea, with a lot of people who had a lot of rehab time and a lot of great war stories and who enjoyed telling them. And it, it was, it was, I, I think, uh, very cleansing in its way. As a person who was in treatment, I saw that firsthand. And I said that, you know, you obviously tapped into something with that. But, you know, the way the show is now, you know, without Chris, and, you know, rest in peace, and I'm very sorry, um, is, is something that's, that's, that's extremely unique because, you know, you are doing something kind of on the fly, and it's, it's great sometimes. Sometimes it's not so great. But this isn't I, as I'm good a conversation as the first conversation we had. I don't remember anything. I, being- well, because I, I mean, <laughs> like the, the thing. The thing is, I think I think that you have tapped into something with a lot of potential, and I think that that's just like you can kind of just like you know take over this space where there are a lot of people who have just like you know occupied this space for a long period of time and um you know i I think that what you do is bring a lot of good energy to something and a little more uh you know i I like the i like the fact that you don't really plan too far ahead with these stuff and you try to kind of just like you be exactly who you are when you have these interviews well, I want it to be fun. Any, any work, I mean, I like it clearly made a mark on you. So why don't you tell me what I said? I don't remember. So, it, was, it was it was it was probably the best conversation I've ever had with anybody. Though you said you said everything I've ever wanted to hear, and for that, I don't remember any of it because my memory is terrible. But for that, I'll, yeah. I'll always be grateful. Um, so tell me about the small bow. It is a. I will start there because it's something that you're doing. You're trying to give something back to the recovery world. And um, and I think uh, it's good, you know, it's good that you get to do it. It's it's a little newsletter uh, meant, I mean, because it's kind of taking a similar space as Dopey in that it's something that recovering people can peruse when they have nothing else to look at and feel kind of at home in the same way that Dopey makes them feel at home, I think. I, I mean, I, I, I've, had, I've had good responses to it in a way that I think you have had as well. You know, it's very, but it's 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 essentially just a, a recovery newsletter that I wanted to put out um, because when I first got out of treatment, you know, and as a person who has worked on the internet and around the internet for years, I think I had kind of assumed that the internet would have uh, to a lot to offer in this space that I would be interested in, and you know, it does. There's a lot there. But there were two things that actually just like stuck out to me, and the one thing that the, there was this one story in, in Harper's Magazine called um, "The Drunks Club," and you know I, it's by this person named Clancy Martin. I highly recommend anybody that's in twelve step or AA read it. And I just thought it was so beautifully written, and I also thought it was basically just like nothing like like nothing we'd ever read 
about kind of 12-step or recovery at that point. And I was just like, why isn't there more stuff like this out there? And then the second thing, um, I don't know if you're ever familiar with the, the You Made It Weird podcast with Pete Holmes, uh, Pete Harris Whittles yeah. and Pete. Like, I, I, I heard that, and, you know, I, I heard Harris Whittles speak, you know, 30 days in and back out, whatever, and I never heard anybody kind of talk I never. I, ne- I think I never heard anybody so alive in recovery. <laughs> that was <laughs> also like that was super influential to Dopey. I heard that. Um, I remember I was standing in my old apartment and I was smoking cigarettes out a tiny window in my kitchen, listening to that uh-huh. and, and thinking, you know, that was the only thing I had ever heard that kind of made me feel almost like Howard Stern made me feel like it was real. And uh, and then, it but it's so good. But it also spoke to my experience, and it was like it put right. a, a little seed in my brain. Did you know that um, Harris Whittle's sister was on Dopey? Um, no, I did not. She she came on to promote her book about Harris, and I and I right. have a feeling it was one of the first episodes that we had done um, when Chris had started to relapse because he did not handle himself well. He was a total really? he, he was a total dick to her. And um, and he was really I mean, he was notably impatient when we had guests on. But with her, he just fucking hated her. And um, and I wouldn't be surprised if it was because he was using in retrospect. And I I never like look at the numbers of the show, but I'm pretty sure it was close to the end of his life. So anyway, really back back to you made it weird weird. and 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 the impact you made it weird or, or Harris and that whole thing had on the small bow. You heard that and you were inspired. Well, I, was, I heard that, and I was just like, "Yeah, I want, why isn't there more of this? Right? Right? Why isn't there? Why isn't there something like everything seems kind of just like so saccharine? Everybody is almost forced to tell the same story, right. over and over again, because that means you're taking it seriously, right? I mean, that's kind of the 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 whole matter. Just like you know, when when you go through twelve steps, I mean, you're not supposed to even call it, <laughs> you're not supposed to say you're an A. You have all these rules, and you're supposed to kind of just like you know, I, I think. I think the people who are who are respectful of it, you know, also basically just do a little bit of a disservice by not kind of sharing just like exactly who they are as people, not just people in the program, right? <laughs> you know, um, I, I wanted more people because I think that recovery in itself, like I, I don't, I don't need, I, I know you do. Um, you know, the, the, the kind of war story type stuff. But I mean, for, for the small bow, it's basically just like, you know, I, I was thinking, I just like, I don't want bottoms. I don't want the redemption. I want kind of the boring parts in the middle. And, you know, what the slog of recovery is like for people, like when they're, when, you know, what new, what new stupid activities do people do now that they don't drink or use, you know? Do they knit? Do they? I mean, tell me about like you know sometimes where it's basically um, you know that the only place that it makes sense would be a site that's recovering people can read it, right? I mean, it's just like I think the stories are very very unique, but I think that there's a tendency in the recovery space to tell stories that they think um, normal people wouldn't like. So I think that's why it's either just like you know overly sanitized. Or, you know, overly scandalized. Well, the irony irony there is that normal people would actually love to hear those banal stories of recovery. And I think my my new gardening segment would really be, I think maybe you should give me a little gardening column in the the bow. (laughs) 
you know? Um, I would I would love that. Yeah, we can I mean, call, you know, we can call like it. We can we call. call. But we I, mean, call I think it. it's just like you know more than anything else, dude. Dude, AJ, like, wait, wait, wait. Yeah. We call the column. The grass is always greener with Dave from Dopey. It's not bad. Come on. I mean, I, I mean, it's 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 terrible, but not bad. <laughs> the right? grass is you know, always so. greener. I'm, I'm actually struggling with my garden right now because my sprinkler guy isn't showing up because I'm too stupid. Yeah. I don't know how to turn on the fucking water to the sprinklers. And like right. I fucking call this guy I'm like begging It's like calling your fucking dealer I'm begging him yeah. to come over To turn a valve in my house And to pay him And he's ignoring me And today I called him Like because I called him on Sunday I called him on Monday I called him on Tuesday And today I called him and I said You know I can give somebody else my money You know And I felt like such a dick You, you said that You said that exact phrase I said it on the voicemail. I said, "This is the fourth time I called you," and, and it occurs. It's a jerk off. That's like probably the daddest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Jesus, man. I know. And then he called me back, and he sounded like such a dick. Someone else my money. Mm-hmm. I said, I said, I said, I think there are other people that I could pay to do this. Is what I said. Um. um I hope it's effective. No, I got to call somebody yeah, else because really this do. guy, he's going to destroy everything because I'm a dick. He's going to destroy yeah, my whole exactly. shit because I'm a dick. I mean, that's, that's kind of, but I mean, I think that, I think that that is, I think that that is kind of just like, in fact, that you came to that conclusion too late. That still proves that how great your recovery is. But it's too late. What do you mean? Explain. <laughs> you're saying that my recovery could use a little bit of tweaking is what you're saying. No, no, no. I'm saying that I think that at least like the fact that at least you walked yourself through this moment where that logic that you have there is saying just like I was just addicted to this guy. Why now? Even if he takes the job, he's probably going to piss on everything. You know that that's that's like stuff that I mean we try to apply beforehand, right? I know. You know, it's just like you don't want you don't want to react poorly in situations when you become activated by people, right. basically yourself. You know. Well, it's because I don't go to enough meetings. That's what it is. I, I, I went to a meeting this morning, and I shared that I – because I only go to, like, one meeting a week. And I shared mm-hmm. that, like, I see it as kind of like a circus tent, and there's only one pole. So the tent is falling on me on both sides. But if I put another – Wait, this is life or your garden or AA? It's my recovery. That I only have one tent pole up. So the fucking, the ism is falling on my head all over the place, except under the pole. You understand? No, I completely understand. And I think it's, but I mean, I think it's it's strange though too, because I, I think we had 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 this discussion kind of just like you know off the air, which I said that you know I have a little trouble when I want my the ambition for the newsletter is is, is probably higher than I'd like it to be, because I, I don't know I don't want my recovery newsletter to become part of my recovery, right? You know, I don't think that this should be service. In any way, shape, or form, even though people like you know say nice things and say, "Oh, you're helping people out for that," I don't, I don't want to fucking help people. I don't know. I know nothing, right? You know, I think I have to kind of just like stay exactly there in order for this stuff to actually work. You know, as much as I basically just like you know really love saying smart things to people and people feel like you know they they've gotten something from it, that's great. 
But I, I'm also very, very, very self-conscious about that fact because I'm afraid it's going to start to kind of, you know, be detrimental to my recovery. No, I hear you. I understand what you mean. I, I always feel you like do. I always feel like um, when people say that dopey helps people, I say that's just like a weird side effect of it. You know, as long that's, I think that's I think that's the right attitude to have. You know, I think as long as the show is entertaining, somebody will get something out of it. But I am not equipped to really help anybody. Um, except, no, except myself. No, I, I was talking to my friend. My friend said to me, Dave. You know, one of my best friends, one of my oldest friends, who's like kind of like a god guy, like he goes to church and stuff. And he said, yeah. um, and he's one of my only friends that's not Jewish. And he said, um, that's not true. But one of my oldest best friends that's not Jewish. There's not that many of my very old friends that aren't Jewish. And he said to me, um, he said, you're doing God's work. And I said, yeah. not really. I said, I'm doing what I always yeah. wanted to do. And it just happens to be helping people uh, because it's pretty – because they like it. And he said, well, that's why it's actually God's work because you get something out of it too. I don't know. He said something. It was smart. I mean, like do you how – much, how much recovery do you actually get out of doing this project? I mean, do you have stuff that kind of surprises you and helps you along the way or is just the act of doing it – you consider just like as part of your service. I don't think of it as service at all. Um, okay. I don't think of it. I mean, I don't think of any of it as service, but I do respond to every person just to, I mean, if I didn't respond to you and I say this, I'm sorry, but I respond to everybody that I can, that I get, I try to respond to everybody. I care, uh, when, when an addict in recovery or an addict, uh, who's struggling reaches out, I respond and I don't think of it as service, but I do think of it as doing what I'm supposed to be doing, you know, looking out. Um, and I think that's a really great thing to be able to do. And it's also what Chris used to always say about dopey was that it was built into his 12th step, um, which was carrying the message, which, you know, whatever, I like to be able to respond to people. I like that people hear that I pretty much enjoy my life and um, and I'm sober and I was a terrible heroin addict and maybe they'll enjoy their life if they get sober. Or at least they definitely right. won't overdose on heroin, you know. Um, I don't think of any of it as service. I, I love making the show because I love making a show. I love being down to the wire. I love that this show is going to come out in two days and I don't have anything. You know, all I have is this conversation so far, and I have something else lined yeah. up. I like that feeling. I know it's a, it's a snooze, um, but uh, yeah. But I mean, I think I think you know that's I think that's where we are very very much the same because I feel the same way about you know my little project, right? Where it's basically kind of just like you know, I would I, I, I would almost do it even if I wasn't in recovery. It would probably be about something else, obviously. But you know, this just feels like a a, a good use of all that I've learned so far in recovery, right? I mean, I think that that's, I think that's a fair thing to say. Well, I think for both of us, it's something that, like, I, w- I don't know how this would have been made if it wasn't dopey. I know that I always wanted to do something like this, and the fact that it's around addiction and recovery is, like, it's, it's cool and right. it's kind of spooky and it's kind of like, 
you know, it, it's kind of like a beautiful thing. Um, but I, but I would be doing it also. I would want to be doing it, but if I wasn't in recovery, I wouldn't be putting anything out every week. That's the other piece. Yeah, no, that's definitely true. I mean, and, that, and that's, and that's the flip side of that too, where it's, it's like, ultimately like I have to remember that, you know, the only reason I'm even getting the chance to do this again is because I've chosen this new path. Right. You know, when did I, you, I mean, that's the part that, I'm sorry. You could finish what you're saying. Go ahead. When did you get clean? Uh, it'll be three years in July 15th of this year, um, which will be like three years back, I would say, because I reset my day count. I started, I started in, in earnest to try to get, you know, clean and sober in like August of 2015. Um, but it didn't take until about July of 2016. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. I, yeah, about that time. One of my favorite things to ask people was, what was the last time you got high? Like, do you remember it? Right. What, was, what was the last time you got high? Like, 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 like decent high. Like, you know, like basically just like the stuff that's like problematic. You know, yeah, I what's mean, what's the last uh, time you used anything? What was it? Um, probably three. Four. I, I want to say. I want to say about uh, you know April of 2015. I started kind of dipping back into my my parents' pills. Like when, even though I didn't, I didn't know they were taking, they I didn't know for whatever reason they were prescribed Ativan, and I've never been. They've never had Ativan in their life, so I thought it was one of those moments where I was like, you know, clearly this Ativan is there for me. It was a God and, moment, you know. This is, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I, I took like four or five of them and just like rolled around on the couch and felt cottony for a little while. But you know, it didn't, it, it didn't, it didn't really kind of just like you know spiral into anything too severe but it did remind me that i missed it <laughs> right right i lo- i remember when i first took ativan the first time i took ativan was when i actually it was the the first night that i was with my wife or my girlfriend or whatever you want to call her the right. the mother of my children um mm-hmm. and we went we did a bunch of coke and we went back to her apartment and she had ativan and it was like i really liked ativan i didn't realize how like yeah. I just think it was a great a great benzo for me. Um, I thought it was powerful, and I, I just you know I thought my you know Linda was incredibly beautiful, and I loved being with her, and I was super attracted to her. But I also wanted to keep going back to her house for the Adivan, you know. Yeah, time- no, I, yeah. I mean that's that's like one of the, it's one of those things where it's just like you start to kind of like I, at, at towards the end. I mean, and this is you know what what kind of drug me into recovery. I mean, I'll I'll send you a picture of like my coffee table that I was like working off of, you know, like quote unquote, like working. Cause I, I had a, you know, I had a startup like situation with a, my own news site for a little while. I mean, that was my last job before everything went to shit with the trial and all that stuff. But I mean, it was called Radder and I would, you know, the, the, the coffee table, it just, it, it's like this beautiful tableau of a drug addict. Right. I mean, it was just like, ultimately just like, you know, I had like my laptop closed, but I had like, you know, suspicious pill bottle here, smashed up there, dirty keys, full ashtray, like, you know, a half drank bottle of Modelo for some reason. Then like, you know, a weird kind of Prosecco bottle on the left-hand side. And then the thing that was like, I found most bothersome about the photo was there was a picture of just like a Pringles can when the flavor was kind of just like Buffalo Wild Wings Pringles. 
And, you know, that part actually just like, I remember kind of just like going down to the, like, you know, the janky deli, uh, like in Williamsburg and picking that particular flavor of Pringles out because I thought it would give me enough protein for the day. That's right? funny. Cause you know, it was just like, I was so strung out at that point. Basically, just like you know, just doing like the friggin' you know the the bend. I I call it like my up and sideways phase, where it's basically just like you know whatever I was doing to do up. It was like you know, blow or amphetamines, and then you know I have the benzos to cut it, and then you know just so I could walk cockeyed. <laughs> but I mean, that was that. I, I I couldn't even tell you how long that went on for. I mean, I was just like so drowning in that for a little while. Well, the amazing thing to me with your story. Was that like, I mean, you were basically like in the center of the universe, you know, with a habit growing, you know, like you, you were, you were part of this, you know, internationally infamous and like at the same time, like mercurial and incredibly popular blog, which was Gawker. And, um, and you became in charge of it. And while you were in charge of it, you were basically a train wreck. Yeah, I mean, like, by the time I was at Gawker, I think it really did take that, you know, it it took the turn, right? You know, where it's basically just like you go from kind of functional and charming to just kind of dirty. (laughs) I mean, I, 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 I always say it as like a boss. I was basically kind of like Michael Scott who didn't shower. You know, like, I mean, that was kind of just like what I was like to deal with at Gawker. I don't know anything um, about this, Michael Scott, but I did he's see he's from the office. He's there from the office. Yeah, I never watched The okay. Office. I, that's one of my my, oh, my, my downsides. I know. I know. Christ, I, I, this is like the second time we've had something like this go south. <laughs> well, anyway, that's I funny. Four, I hope four people who have basically read, you know, who may have watched The Office are laughing their ass off right now. Well, I, something that Chris always bought, he was always bothered that I didn't. And watch The Office, but um, but uh, what was it? Do you watch? You don't. You don't. I think you're one of those guys that doesn't watch anything. Dude, I watch ev- I watch everything I can, and then uh, name something else. Let's see. Let's see if I watch it. The Wire. I know it inside and out. Are you kidding me? You obviously don't listen to Dopey if you've never heard me talk about The Wire. Are you kidding me? In fact, yeah. you, in fact, I was at a store the other day. And I was buying what the oh I was at Target okay, and um and I was trying to buy, um, like a like a a cleaner to clean the floor in my house okay, and I'm in Target mm-hmm. and I'm and and I'm in the aisle in Target, and this dude who works there comes up to me and he's like, "What are you looking for?" And I'm like, "I need a cleaner for my floor. I don't know what to get." And he's like, well, what I use for my floor is the Swiffer wet jet, okay? And he walks me to the Swiffer aisle, okay? And his eyes are fucking pinned as shit. And he starts yeah. describing the benefits of the Swiffer wet jet and the Swiffer vacuum. And he takes me through his whole house and how he only uses the Swiffer wet jet and the Swiffer vacuum. And at the end of it, I buy both of them. 
Okay, I buy the fucking Swiffer wood wood chemical, and as I'm leaving, all I could think about is the wire when Snoop goes to buy the fucking nail gun, and the dude at Home Depot sells her the nail gun, and she tips him two hundred bucks, and he's like, "Yo, that was two He's like, "That's two hundred dollars extra," and Snoop's like, "You sold that shit like a motherfucker," and uh, and the dude at Target sold me the Swiffer shit like a motherfucker. He was just this amazing mm-hmm. salesman. Back to back to gawker which is way more important than what i watch on tv yeah um you know you know it's funny too i was basically just like gonna end that and say just like and i've never watched the wire so i had no idea what you were talking about you've never watched the wire yeah right back at you no i did but i mean i thought that would be great for this little thing this little tangent we went on but do you remember when snoop says you sold that shit like a motherfucker yeah 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 she she used to live in my neighborhood actually like at when I was living in Williamsburg, you could see her all the time. Snoop Pearson, she had a little little issue. Um, yeah, she did. But back to this thing, I, I saw this roast, and I think it was it was before you were at Gawker, and you were the boss at Deadspin, yeah. and you were the boss. No, no, it was it wasn't. I wasn't. I wasn't. Yeah, this was like in two thousand seven. This was like basically when I was moving back to Philadelphia. So I mean I was I was like a a wasn't even on Gawker's radar at that point. It was pre all that. It was, yes. it was okay. So one of the women in the thing says that you urinated on her computer on a Tuesday night. Yes. Yeah. So that's how true. how did that happen? Um. You know, it's how did it happen? I've I, I never really kind of gotten into the, the physics of it, but I, I, here's what I remember of that night. It was just like kind of like one of those 30 beer nights, right, where it was like I, I thought you, you can just drink and, 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 every, and then everything just seems like, oh, I can just drink as much as I can, right? I think I don't, I don't think I would consider myself even like a full-blown alcoholic at that point, but I thought I was just having a, a great night out. And it was weird because we came home and I talked to my roommates and everything seemed fine. And then I fell asleep. I used to fall asleep on the couch all the time watching television because that was the only way I would wind down. Right. Like, you know, and, um, but I remember it was like, you sleeping on the couch. I remember her laptop was up and open. We had like kind of like a, a higher coffee table. And I remember just like in the middle of the night having to piss and then not really wanting to get up. But then also <laughs> realizing that it had started to kind of just like, you know, uh, come out of me. Right. So I think I just like, you know, opened my fly and then just like kind of tilted over to the side and then just completely just like drowns her computer. That's and I got the computer and I got the cable remote. So, I mean, it was like kind of just like, I remember she was so pissed about the computer and then she tried to turn on the television. I'm like, wait, before you do that, you know, she lived <laughs> with like, you, that woman. Um, but I was, it was, it was awful. And then I had to go and get the, um, I, I, I sent it to like, uh, one of those computer doctor places. And I told them that, you know, a cat had pissed on it. Wow. Um, and then I remember he called me back, and he was just like, and I opened it up, and there was all this liquid. He's like, how big was this cat? And I'm like, you know, it was a Jaguar. You know what I mean? But, <laughs> like about 175 um, pounds. <laughs> exactly. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, and like that, that was, that was like, you know, pre when things got really out of control. That was just kind of like, you know, the beginning part, where it's just like I had had the capacity to do that sort of shit. <laughs> well, walk me through um, 
when you know using uh, became like a problem, and like what was right. it like, and what were you doing, and and what was the experience like, and and also because the stakes were getting high. You know what I mean? You you were again. You were the center of this maelstrom. Like millions mm-hmm. of people were reading that that blog. You know, I mean, was, allegedly. I mean, who knows? A lot of them were probably robots, but I mean, it was a popular site. That's for sure. Was, yeah. But I mean, like you know, I I, I think it, I think it's just, and I, and I can I can tell this is kind of just like a, re, a recovered person in a different way than I. I would as using. So I'm talking to you like a person who's in recovery, not as a person who basically just like, you know, knows me from that site. But, you know, what I can tell you is just like, you know, it was my dream job and I hated it because I hated myself so much, if that makes sense. Why did you hate like, yourself I, so was, much? I, I thought it, I thought it, because I thought it, I thought it was everything that I ever wanted, right? Which is basically tells us like this creative autonomy that, you know, being at Gawker Media did provide. Whereas ultimately just like, you know, you could write something either kind of just like funny or wry or like, you know, ultimately kind of just um, scandalous and it would gain a lot of attention. And then it would also just like, you know, as a, as a, as a, as a person trying to kind of just like make a career in writing of some sort, it would give you a lot of attention and give you a lot of professional options. And, you know, I, I began to kind of just do that very well and very frequently. But, I, you know, the degree to which I was basically trying to kind of do things to kind of um, one-up myself, you started to kind of eat away at me a little bit. Like, right. you know, the stories about kind of just like, you know, the, uh, the stories where I was basically just like being accused of ruining someone's life um, did actually bother me. And it was just like it, it started to kind of just like, you know, add up. And I began to kind of think, like, you know, how long am I actually doing this and why am I doing this? Well, right? what was the first story? And, um, well, AJ, what was the first story where you felt like somebody's – where you were actually, like, that that narrative was being said, where they said that you were ruining somebody's life or you had a twinge of feeling like this might not be a good thing? There was – there was a – there was a, a – a, I mean, if you if you watch like ESPN and all, you know, like sports in the way capacity, or you're like one of those weirdos too. No, I watch I, I watch a little bit. You know what I mean? I, I'm in and out. Right, I'm a I'm a basketball there, there, fan, but I, I I read sports news here and there. Yeah. All right. So anyway, there was this there was this ESPN um, commentator named Sean Salisbury who used to work as like an, an NFL talking head. He was an ex quarterback. He had gotten into just like a, a a scandal where he had like sent pictures of his dick allegedly, well, not allegedly, he admitted to it, to kind of just like, you know, a, a lot of people whom he worked with. It was a ha-ha funny joke. They told HR about it, et cetera, et cetera. He denied it. We had like, you know, run the story accusing him of that. He denied it once again, but he eventually got fired for it, right? And he was kind of just like, you know, suggesting that our site was the, the cause of this. And he began to kind of just like email me clearly under duress, like constantly, like from his iPhone. It was one of those kind of just like iPhone email drunken rants where every single email would come like fast and furious at like, you know, every three minutes and then said, sent for my iPhone. Right. And he was clearly just like, you know, losing it. And I remember like, you know, there were people laughing and I kept putting up the emails, email after email. And I started to get other emails from like other people in the industry who were just like, you know, maybe back off. Maybe this guy is in crisis. 
maybe you're going too far here. And then I remember just like, you know, whatever that line was, I no longer kind of just, it's not that I didn't care. I was just very, very cognizant that I was crossing it and that that was probably what was going to separate me and make me good at this or different at this than other people. Like you were willing, you were willing to do stuff that other people weren't willing to do. But I was willing to basically, that it was, it was, I was able to compartmentalize like some, some human kind of empathy and, and still do this. Now, I mean, granted, like, you know, there's another side to it where you can say just like, yeah, well, this was a, a, a public moment for a public figure, and you know this is that those are the breaks, but I, I mean I, I just felt that twinge that you're talking about at that point, and then I remember also kind of just like you know the net result of it was ultimately like okay I guess this is good for the site right, right? and you know I, I began to kind of just like you know that that was really just like what my editorial leadership was was ultimately trying to make. You know, taking those stories on, like not letting anyone else kind of just like on the staff do them because I didn't want anybody else to basically be branded with the same sort of thing that I was. But I knew it was good. I knew it was good that we had a an asshole on the staff that probably made other people nervous and that you were willing to go to places that other people weren't willing to go. Um, Yeah. And you did that over and over again to incredible success. You know, I mean, in in some ways, you know what I mean? Like incredible readership, incredible numbers. I I mean, it was, I mean, I like, you know, there were, there were, there were GQ profiles written about me. I mean, like there was like an HBO real sports thing. I mean, it was, it was clearly working in some sort of professional capacity, even if it was always kind of just like, you know, those stories were always buffered with basically just like, Oh, here's the success. But, you know, is this actually ethical or is this man ruining lives? Right. Are we kind of just like, you know, witnessing like, you know, deprivation in action here. And and I think that that's, uh, you know, that, that, that was really going to just like, you know, what was, what was actually happening at the time? Well, there was no question about it. And yeah. And the backstory is your, your addiction is, is starting to like become, you know, really like manifested and, and it's really starting to stick its head up. And, and like, as you're doing, you know, morally questionable stuff, your intake of these drugs yeah. is on the up. And all, I mean, like, I think it's your hard pressed to find a fucking drug addict who made good decisions when they used more drugs, you know, and, and you had. Yeah, no, and I think, I think that's right. And I think, and I think that, you know, but I, I and this is just like the funny part about kind of just like being wired the way I am. Like, I still, I still look back at that time and say, just like, you know, well, I, it wasn't that bad. I remember just like, you know, kind of not doing a lot of more stuff. <laughs> I remember kind of, you know, I, I abstaining at some points or basically kind of just, you know, not running some stories. And I also just like, you know, thought that it was like, well, if I was that bad a drug addict, why didn't anybody put me in rehab, right? I mean, <laughs> well, you but, were like and, their and, pet dog. You were like frothing at the mouth. You were willing to bite people, and they were like, we have this crazy fucking dog who's going to fucking get attention. You know what I mean? Like, um, I, don't think, I don't think you could say we because it was basically just like you know my one boss, right? right. You know, I mean, it's it was, a royal and, and, and I say, and I don't want to like pin it on him, but I mean, it was just like it was clearly a guy. I mean, I was, I, w- I was doing something. I was doing the job in a way that I thought he would approve of. Put it that way. Well, he like, did you know approve I mean? of it. Like, 
He approved yeah, of it. He, he gave you a raise. He, he promoted you. He put you in charge of everything because you were willing to do stuff that nobody else was willing to do. And it got him the attention that gave him the clicks or whatever, right? I don't know if it was the clicks. Well, I don't I mean, know I about think that. The attention is, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, it's just like, and I understand that it's just like that. That's part of kind of just like, you know, the mythology of just like the internet. That it was like some sort of boiler room for like you know page views. But like the reality was, I mean, there are just for for me, it was more about I think the the attention getting and the potential to kind of just like you know build my own ladder like to wherever that was, that was really what appealed to me. And, and Gawker kind of gave that sort of platform. And, you know, Nick was the guy that was obviously in charge. So if if he was approving of, you know, everything that I was doing, then in my mind I was doing everything right. Right. And it was kind of a ladder of dick pics for a little while, right? There was a lot That's of... That's true, yeah. There was Brett Favre's yeah. dick yeah. pics. I mean, there, were, there weren't a lot. I mean, I would say not even, you know... Less than 10. Well, it's a very short ladder where every rung was a dick pic. I mean, that's like some kind of like... I mean, there's only really one big dick pic that wasn't even really a, a dick pic, per se. I mean, it just became... I, I became kind of synonymous with that. But, I mean, in reality, I mean, I, I there may have been like three. And that was the Brett Favre dick pic. The Brett Favre one, Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. the, but and, and, and it, for, for those who don't know, I mean, it was just like this was around, it was about the time that he was playing with the Jets, and he had, according to the source of the story, who was a woman named Jen Sturger, he used to work for the Jets. Um, she had received kind of just like you know, some unwanted advances from him uh, on several occasions. She had the voicemail messages of him kind of just like soliciting her. And then, you know, she said that there she had also received some photos of uh, a, an unidentified member that she had kind of presumed was from him just because of all the other calls that she was getting. So, you know, I, I ran with that story and then ultimately it became kind of just like, you know, was it his dick or was it not his dick? Um, and the NFL investigated it, et cetera, et cetera. So it was like a, it was a very, you know, long and drawn out story for that made national news, and I was the guy who brought it to that level. Well, and as as all this was happening, and you're sort of like your fame was rising. Was your uh, was your intake rising at the same time? Was your using like increasing? I don't know. I don't. I don't. Not not. Really, I mean, it, it was it was high. You know, don't get me wrong, but I think I would honestly consider myself more of just like a party person at that point, right? You know. And what was the what, what was, was the party was, like? Well, I mean, I would definitely be a guy who, you know, worked halfway hard three days a week <laughs> and then like, you know, Thursday or Friday or maybe, you know, Monday, I mean, it would, would not be, would not be available. Right. Um, so, I mean, that, that was really kind of just like, you know, what it was like for me. And uh, I mean, but I, it, it was, it was kind of accepted. Like here was also just like the logic that I applied. If I was very, very public, with my love of drugs and alcohol and kind of just like, you know, like uninhibited by it, then nobody could really say that I had a problem, right? Because right. I wasn't hiding it. <laughs> like, but also, so, no, but a three-day on, a three-day on, four-day off week 
sounds pretty manageable to me. Like, what was it? And I just want to jump to it because, like, what was it that made you need recovery? Like, what changed? I mean, I, for for me, it really started to change when I I, I was. It, it became it became more and more like I like I, I had like three years where honest to God I probably only worked on Wednesday for like four hours, and Elise was like lucid for that. Amount so of it time. changed the three and day on four day off thing. Changed. changed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it changed to the point where it's just like and, and I'm I would I'm not gonna say it became like an everyday thing, but it became a think about it everyday thing, and it also became kind of just like you know. A like uh, probably a a half of the month type of thing to where I was basically kind of just like you know increasing my intake and you know I was I was not absolutely kind of straightening out as quickly as I used to and I needed more to kind of just like you know find that kind of just stabilizing ground. Well, let me ask you this: How much did the Hulk Hogan thing like force your bottom? And it didn't at all. Like, I mean, the, the, the thing about, you know, the trial kind of ran up exactly like parallel to my recovery. But the thing was, there was no actual trial at that point. Like the trial was still like something that I think most of the legal experts, most of our legal team We'll talk about, let's talk like, about what uh, happened before you get into the trial, because I didn't say it. I, I mean, yeah, well, all right, fine. So when I, when I, I, after Deadspin, I got promoted to editor-in-chief of Gawker, and uh, one of the stories that I did at Gawker was essentially just like, you know, ran this a, 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 a legally filmed tape of, you know, Hulk Hogan having sex with his best friend's wife. About a minute and 30 seconds of a half-hour footage. Um, I ran, quote-unquote, a highlight reel of it, and then I wrote what I thought was a very amusing and funny and kind of uh, poignant story about, like, you know, the state of America and its celebrity sex tapes. And he, I got sued for $115 million along with my boss in Gawker Media. And we went to trial in Florida around, you know, March of 2016, I want to say. No, about 2015. And uh, we lost badly. And um, and but wasn't that the end of your of that was the end of Gawker basically right? Yeah, it took a few more months, but I mean that was yeah. So it took Gawker down, and it also put you in the public eye in a much bigger way than you had been before. Um. Yes and no. I mean, I I can't really speak to that, like. With with any sort of with any sort of like clarity just yet because it was happening all during early recovery for me. I mean, we're talking like months into my recovery and not really good recovery at that point. I consider myself pretty dry at you know from the beginning of the trial until like about the year and a half it took afterwards for that thing to get all sorted out. But why did but, that even um, happen? That you that you had stopped using. At when you stopped using, like, what was your bottom then? If it wasn't related to the Hulkster, what, that it wasn't related. It was. I if, mean, if, I, I'm I, saying I was this. Just waking up and you know, without shoes and walking around streets. I mean, I was. It was. I remember it being like a, you know, a hundred and five degree day in like you know Brooklyn, and I was like wearing two cardigans, and you know, I was just kind of at the end of my rope as much as I possibly could be, and you know. 
like at that point, it just like it didn't dawn on me that you know my drinking and using was becoming a problem, and I became very, very kind of just like you know secretive about it. All, all the t- all the signs started happening, right? I mean, it's just like you know the the things that the little by little things like the losses were starting to add up, right. And there, you don't remember um, what was? Do you remember a defining moment where you were like, "This has to change. I need to. I need yeah, to get out of this." Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and it was, and it was about that time where I told you about, like, you know, the coffee table, and then, like, you know, there was a friend of mine who, you know, I just let's let's call them guys, just like you know, guys I kind of just like you know went rock bottoming with. I mean, like, you know, it was like a Saturday. We got up at ten. We went into the city, just like you know, drank and played pool and did pills and just like ordered coke and shrooms and just like you know it was just like by two o'clock i mean we're just like kind of floating right but like you know floating but full of booze at the same time right and then also kind of just like head full of pills etc and then it was just like throughout the day i mean we began to kind of just like you know pick up other people along our travels and jumping from bar to bar. And then, you know, I, at the time I was actually just like, you know, playing a lot of CeeLo, like the dice game. And I remember kind of just like, you know, in the middle of this dice game, kind of just like, and I, I didn't have a lot of money at that point. I mean, I had kind of just like a startup and, you know, all of my money that was, you know, I, that I was supposed to live off of, but I, I had the business card and I was very proud of when I got that business card because it had my own, you know, the corporation on it, it had my full name and it was black and it seemed kind of heavy. Right. And I remember it's like thinking that that was like a moment that I had made it. And I'm playing CeeLo and I keep losing and I ran out of cash and I put up the card right yeah. against like a random guy. And I remember just like there was a, there was a woman who was playing, who was just like watching this whole thing go down, a woman I don't know. And she reached over and she said, you have to stop. And I said, why? And she said, because you keep losing. And it was almost just like that kind of just like that moment where everything kind of froze. And I was just like, oh, that's echoing in my head. Right. Right. You know, and it was like, you know, I guess I, I lost the card. The guy who you know won it was basically very kind and only went and like spent like twenty three dollars at McDonald's, but then returned it to me essentially. Um, but that that was the moment where I was just like, you know, I, I don't know why I, I had a lot of stuff that I was supposed to do that weekend and that week for myself and for my company and for my career, things that I wanted to do. And I chose not to, right? I chose to kind of gamble and get kind of just like completely loaded. And that was the point where I was basically just like, man, I didn't want that decision to happen. Right, right. So it was, it was obvious to you. It was obvious to you in that moment it, it, that, that it, things had gotten it wasn't, it wasn't obvious. It wasn't obvious. I wanted a... I wanted, I, I really wanted, I mean, I really wanted to basically just like, and this is how deranged I was at the time. You know, I really wanted to hire a, a a medic on site at this bar that I was at to administer B12 shots. Right. That was my big plan at the time. You know, I was just like, you know, so just just so I can kind of just like you know bounce back quickly and not have this sort of thing happen again. Well, that was a. Did you ever watch the Mad Men in the when it was like yeah, 1971? Yeah, absolutely. And- did um did yeah. you ever have it like that at Gawker or Radder? I did. You did. So tell me about that. You had somebody fixing you up with amphetamines and B12 together? 
No, no. I mean, like, what, 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 I mean, I was, I jumped in a little early, but I mean, like, when I was in, I was in Vegas one time for my friend's wedding. And, like, you know, at the time I was doing a lot of Dexedrine, right? And I don't know if you're familiar with that. It's sure. Like, it's like super Adderall, yeah. right? You know, so doing that a lot. And then, you know, the night before the wedding, or like the night of the wedding, basically just like done like a whole bunch of coke, more coke than, I, I, you know, when you have like that line where you're basically just like, okay, I can't do any more coke. Yeah. Right? I, my, my heart is tight. My throat is tight. Yeah. yeah. My nose is basically just like not functioning anymore. I mean, everything is kind of just like dry and I still will not be able to sleep for 20 days. But, you know, I took the one more line. I was up like, you know, it's kind of just like, clearly I'm going to kind of just like hit cardiac arrest like right away. So, you know, the, I, I went and had someone take me to kind of just like the, um, uh, what's it, what's it, it's, a, it's not actually just like, you know, a hospital, but it's like a little kind of just like mini hospital. For this like the yeah. walk-in, the, the, the stat health clinic, whatever it's called. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, so I walk, I walk, because I, I make somebody walk me there because I was just like, you know, I don't want to die in this hotel during my friend's wedding. I don't want to ruin my friend's wedding. That's what I was thinking. So just walk me to, like, you know, the, the hospital. We'll get this taken care of. And, you know, it's just like a Vegas clinic. So the doctor that was there is basically just like, I've clearly seen this a, a couple of times and administered me like a B12 shot on the spot. And... It was like nothing ever happened. Really, it was amazing. Yes, just replenishing just like everything. Normal. That's a, that's a drug. Yeah. I, I like. I never did PCP, and I never had a B twelve shot. Whenever I got to that place of too much coke, like I refused to yeah. do coke if I didn't have heroin or pills or both, because I fucking hated the coke without the down. I, in fact, I just did coke as an excuse to do more downs all the time cuz I'm <laughs> I'm just very naturally that's, yeah, wired. that's the way to do it. Um, um but I mean I, that was the part that was just like it started to get really scary then cuz I mean it was ultimately just like you know you're up all night doing coke and then I always had that moment with benzos and I remember like you know taking them and getting that kind of just like that dull throbbing feeling of basically kind of just like oh my breath is slow but my heart is fast which one is this which way is this going to go and then kind of just like actually just like giving myself like last rites before i fall asleep because it's basically just like oh this is how it happens these are the times where you just don't wake up but right. not really caring right you know i'm just knowing that that was kind of just like those those sort of moments were happening more and more frequently right. and i was just like you know well that's kind of just like the price of kind of just like living the life that i was living right that's the price of success <laughs> I, I love that feeling of of going from fast to very slow, like I that was a feeling that because like when when the slow drugs would hit me, that was a, I haven't thought about that in a long time. How much I enjoyed slowing down and like how the chemistry all played out. Um, what what's interesting to me, and I don't mean to you know obviously I'm not trying to glorify drugs. It's just like it's just hearing yeah. you talk about it and hearing like just remembering that chemical interaction. It's just. I forgot about it, kind of, uh, and I hated coke. Well, it's, uh, because, I mean, that's the thing that I like. A lot of the stuff when I when I miss things, like here's actually what like if I had a day, right? If I could just like pick a day to kind of just like take a furlough, 
Like, you know, I wouldn't kind of just, like, go to a bar or anything like that. You know, I would probably just, like, take a couple pills, have some, like, kind of just, like, cough medicine and a straw and a bunch of cigarettes and just, like, sit in bed for as long as I wanted. Like, I love that basically kind of just, like, that warm blanket of kind of just, like, almost feeling like you're allowed to kind of just sit here and do nothing because your body can't. Totally. I mean, I I would have a bong, some weed, a record player, a pack of cigarettes, and then maybe some some Xanax and maybe some heroin and The Wire, maybe, and some chocolate chocolate chip ice cream. (laughs) I think think that sounds like a good deathbed scenario. Um, I have another question, though, because, like, whenever, whenever I've brought up the Hulkster, and I love to call Hulk Hogan the Hulkster, because when I was a kid, mm-hmm. I would watch wrestling. I was never a Hulk Hogan fan. But, like, when this whole thing happened, there was a part yeah. of me, like, a little piece of me had a little guilty laugh that this was happening right. to the Hulkster. You know, Mr. Say Your Prayers, Eat Your Vitamins guy. But then when he right. sort of turned up in court, I felt sorry for him, you know. Right. Um, because he did, I mean, like, his whole family was falling apart and his career was in trouble. And, yeah. you know, like, he's bounced back, obviously. Um, but why don't you like to talk about it? Because, you, I mean, like, you know, it's, I hear, I've been reading there's Netflix stories coming out about you, like a series, like three different Netflix right. series are coming out. And, um, and whenever I bring up the Hulkster, you kind of give me this weird laugh and you don't want to talk about it. But it, it seems like right. such a profound story. Like, what what keeps you from wanting to talk about it? Well, because because I'm still I'm still actively working through it, and I just like you know it's it's a lot of the stuff is like I don't want to. Some parts of it still make me kind of volcanically angry. Well, right? what, I like, still what? Get, like what? Uh, I I well, I mean just the fact that here's the thing. I just like I think it was karmically just. But I think it was legally just like abysmal, you know. I mean, ultimately, at the end, when all the smoke cleared, it was a guy with a lot of money who really wanted that site, like Gone. you know, eradicated, right, right? right? Yeah. So I mean, and 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 that's and that's really the stuff that I think is 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 probably the most frustrating in terms of just like you know, kind of everyone weigh, weighing exactly just like you know how. Well, did they, did Gawker or myself, did we actually deserve it, right? Were we, are we worthy martyrs? And I don't think that that's like a proper question. I think the proper question is, do you really want billionaires who are kind of just like a little bit emotionally unstable actually be, have the power to do this? And that's the thing that I find is the thing that most people should kind of focus on. What was that but, movie? Um, what was know, that movie called? The Netflix documentary? Um... I actually can't remember the name. I'm something, not trying to be an asshole. Something about truth or something. I'm googling it and it's not coming up. But it's a good movie and it tells it tells <laughs> the story. It tells the story I, maybe well. It does. I don't know, but I mean, I think, but I mean, that's the thing. It's just like you know, I I, I feel like such a character in that story, and I'm not right. I mean, I was a guy in early recovery with all this weirdo shit happening. It felt like a Black Mirror episode to me. So it's still tough to kind of, you know, really look at with any sort of clarity or have any sort of kind of just like, oh, here's what happened. This is what happened. Because a lot of the stuff I'm still I'm still not 100 percent on why things happened the way they did. Right. And like, I understand what you're saying. And I think that's fine. And I think we we can do. 
I do. I think we we could leave it there because also you don't. I mean, it sounds. I like I don't want to be cagey about it. I mean, I, I would love to talk about this from a from a recovery perspective because I mean, it's just like there's a lot of stuff that ultimately, like when I'm in that courtroom, like for example, like I absolutely began to kind of just like you know it dawned on me of just like why this would hurt Hulk Hogan because I mean in the middle of the trial I'm obviously new in recovery and I don't want any eyes on me whatsoever. It's feeling like I'm like the, the worst, most vile human on the planet. And I remember thinking just like, you know, maybe that's how he was feeling when the tape came out, right? Right. You know, that vulnerable and that basically just like trying to do the right thing and be responsible for once. And then like his past comes roaring back and it's kind of just like on full display and he's starting to pay for it, right? I, I, I remember having that thought like in the courtroom where it's just like, oh, I, that makes sense to me. Yeah, and not to mention like that dude was was struggling at that time, his family and shit. Like, and you could just I don't know who who knew, but I mean, here's the thing: it's just like you know, once it kind of just like gets when when lawyers and judges get control of a, a narrative, story, right? A narrative, right? It, it, it's like it, there's it's it's facts stacked on top of facts, but maybe very little truth, like. And that's and that's kind of just like the thing that I really learned when it was like trying to be, you know, practice some rigorous honesty. It's very tough to do that in an American courtroom, right? You know. Yeah. Well, you lost. You lost the suit. So I mean, yeah. you weren't supposed to owe Hulk Hogan one hundred and fifty million dollars, though, were you? Well, at one point, because of the way that the Florida legal system is structured, like all three parties are liable for that amount. Um, unbeknownst to me, my you know former employer and my former boss went ahead and declared bankruptcy, so they were basically protected. Um, I was told I shouldn't declare bankruptcy because I mean my assets were minimal, and then it was just like, oh well, they probably won't like you know go after you because you're a, you know, a pauper, basically. Um, and that wasn't the case. They, at one point, I, I woke up and my checking account was negative $230 million. That's amazing. Did um, you take a picture? I did take a picture, yeah. I will send it to you. You can you know, use that and you can put the dopey sticker in front of it. Um, but uh, you know, the, the thing was, it was, it was, it was funny because, I mean, they doubled it because it was basically kind of like insurance like on, on the part of Chase. But then I remember getting this very, very kind of just like an you know, perfunctory email from them and them saying just like, as a value Chase customer, we're going to waive the $15 <laughs> That's processing funny. fee. That's funny, yeah. Yeah, and um, but I mean, it was just like it, it was so absurd because I mean, it's just like that amount of negative money in your account. It's like winning the reverse lottery. I mean, I clearly will never be able to pay it back. So you're kind of just like forced to walk the earth and kind of live off the land, basically. Yeah, well, that's total. Like in a weird way, it's total freedom. But how did you walk away yeah. from negative two hundred and thirty million? Like what happened? I mean, they obviously they eventually just worked it out, and you know it was kind of just like done as like a bully tactic on their point. I mean, they were trying to kind of use me as a pawn to get to whatever money they could, and really kind of just like I mean, ultimately, it's just like that's what a billionaire's open checkbook can do right is that lawyers can do whatever the fuck they want to did they ever did they ever get your money though what they did was they had i had i had a lien i had that lien on my checking account for about a year where it was just like inactive 
um, you know, luckily there was just like bogged down in legal paperwork that they were trying to kind of any money I could have been earning at that point um, would have been subject to like they were they would be able to kind of just like you know take it from me if it was in a formal paycheck. So they were keeping track of you know where I was going to be working, was I getting any book deal offers, all this kind of stuff. I right. mean it was kind of just harassment for about a year. They kept taking my my phone and kind of just like you know clearing it to make sure I wasn't doing anything. My computers. I mean it just went on for a long period of time. It was kind of just like this weird exile. And um, I, I had to just, like, wait it out while kind of just, like, you know, lawyers who were basically just, like, you know, after bigger things than me figured out some way to kind of just, like, you know, get Hulk Hogan as uh, a massive amount of money. Right. And they left you alone. You didn't have to fucking fork anything over. I didn't have to fork anything over, but, I mean, it was kind of like I don't know if I, I – who, who knows? I know there are loose ends. Right. You know, I mean, it's like I, I hope to God, like, you know, nothing happened. Because, I mean, he's still suing other people over this. So, I mean, you know, this could come up again and they could just like and decide that, oh, well, you know, I've I, he's clearly just like, you know, just a, a millionaire because of the small bow. Let's go after him for that. <laughs> well, that, that might be why you didn't call it the large bow, because maybe they'll know uh, that it's small. They're not going to like. Um, no, you don't like that joke. No, I mean, it was, it was just like I was trying to keep right sized. Right. But um, yeah, but I mean, like, the thing is, I don't know. I I saw enough firsthand to see just like you know people kind of just like making decisions without caring for my well being. Right. Right. And I don't mean that to be just self pitying. I mean, it was just like that was kind of just like the stuff that was actually happening at the time. Well, you were out I mean, there. there was, you were the man out there, and they let you stay out there. You know what I'm saying? They did yeah. not bring you in, and they did not take care yeah. of you. Um, did you ever wind up talking to him? The Hulkster? Never a word. Or did you talk to him? No, I didn't talk to him. You know, I mean, it was just like, I, I mean, without without saying, like, too much, I will say that it was basically just like, you know, there's a, there, there's a part of me that will someday hopefully make an amends to him in the way that we're supposed to make an amends to people. Yeah, what do we think um, that would look like, an amends to Hulk Hogan? I don't know what that would look like. I don't know what that would look like. But, I mean, it's just like it's absolutely something that, you know, I can make, I don't think I can make uh, in any sort of formal way at this point, just because it's legally fraught. But I think I mean, it should be a formal, it should be a formal conference call on Dopey, because that would just be <laughs> mind-boggling great for the show. So let's yeah, try to... Now your now you're Howard Stern kind of just like mindset's coming out clearly, but... Um, that would be so fun. I mean, no, listen, I, I only want good things for you. I want peace for you. I want peace around all this shit, because obviously you're moving forward in a really positive way, and that's what counts. I'm trying to. I'm well, trying to. Thank you. But I mean, I think that, I mean, I think that that's like the, the part about this, where it's just like, I mean, even for my own curiosity sake you know i it's like i you know which part of like was was hulk hogan trying to basically save his personal life or was he trying to save his professional life right hulk hogan's life yeah right you know because that's the part that i'm I, i'm curious about that's a that's a question that i would love to ask him someday well maybe you can i mean like i i think it has to do with being a wrestler and getting old 
And then having this thing come out. So everything is, he can't jump in the ring and fucking do the big leg drop and, and like come out of this as Hulk Hogan. He's an old man. You know what was, I, but here's the thing. It's just like, you know, when, because, you know, seeing him, you know, being like 20 feet across from him in the courtroom, and even though he was kind of just like limping around on a cane and he's wearing his do-rag still, he made a special request to the judge to wear his do-rag, you know, nobody saw him as a guy who was humiliated or here's the guy from the sex tape. Everybody who sees Hulk Hogan thinks it's Hulk Hogan. Look, there's Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Nobody is basically just like angry to be in the presence of Hulk Hogan. So I, I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was strange to kind of just like sit there and say, just like I don't know exactly how professionally this affected him. But personally, I, you know, that's something for you know, for him to basically just like you know, square himself with. If he was hurt by it, I get that. I understand that. You know, I think that that is something that I mean, I'm trying to basically just like you know get move forward with in my life. But the fact that I actually just like had the capability of doing that to people. But I mean, it's also up to him to kind of just like figure out how honest that whole entire lawsuit was. You know, that's really it. Right. And like, and, and, but more importantly, I think than all of that is like, you got to like dip yourself to the kind of lowest common denominator of journalism. You know, you, you got to like, you know, you went to the darkest place and now you're trying uh-huh. to do something that isn't like that. You know, like, I mean, I, I mean, well, it's weird because it's like, you know, the, the, the small blow exists in the same way. Like there, it wasn't all that stuff. Like there are probably like the eight or 10 things that I'm maybe kind of just like, you know, known for, right. Or at least kind of in some way or where I used to work. I mean, there were still elements of the stuff that I'm doing with the small blow that existed there. Like it's not. It's not a complete 180 at all. It's just I'm not doing all of the crazy stuff. <laughs> that to kind of the, the the way I mean I'm still kind of just like you know running a newsletter or a website in a way that I think should, it should be done. So can, can we look forward to like can we look forward to like the best uh, cocks of recovery, like a little Robert Downey Jr. sex tape on the small bow or anything like that? Russell Brand's dick someplace? No. Hello, <laughs> are you still there? Well, yeah, I'm just, I'm just no, no dicks are coming to the small bow. Is the point? I'm just really? making a stupid I mean, joke. I, Can I make a stupid joke? Can I enjoy myself for a second? Man. Come on. Did I ruin this for you? Kind of did, kind of did. I was looking forward to this interview. And I now, and now, fun. now, an hour and ten minutes is not so good. I can take that out. You want me to hold on? <laughs> hold on, I'll take it out. No, I don't need. It. You can, you can, you can leave it in there. If you could, if you put in a laugh track. No, I can't. I can't put in a laugh track. Um, you can keep it if you put in a laugh track. All right. Well, you can keep it. You can, you can keep it in if you keep in my suggestion of putting in a laugh track. Everywhere or just there? No, just there. I'll do it. But um, All right, man. Thank you. and no, thank you for coming on, and I and I appreciate everything, um, you know, because you you are very helpful uh, with my mission, and uh, and I appreciate your interest in it, and um, and I appreciate what you do, man, and I think that we should have a uh, a the grass is always greener gardening section in, in Smallbow. <laughs> if if you want it, I'm down to write it. Um, yeah, no, I mean I do have something in mind that I'd like you to do, but we can talk about that later. Um, but I do hope you have me back because this is always fun. 
No, I, I need to have you come back because we didn't talk about the LSD no hitter or, or the pens <laughs> full of Coke. So that that's for another time. But thank you, AJ. Right, I really appreciate it, man. Get it. Right on. So that's AJ Delario. Obviously, he was put through the ringer by his own devices, and now he's on the other side trying to help out with the small bow. Uh, so check out the small bow if you have a chance. And thank you, AJ, for coming on the show. And uh, lots of interesting stuff coming up in the world of Dopey. Lots of big stuff, but I don't love revealing big stuff. But I will reveal this. This morning on the train in, I decided to add a shirt to the Dopey Podcast store. And I'm sure a lot of you guys don't know that there is a Dopey Podcast store. But if you go to DopeyPodcast.com and you click on the store, you go to the Dopey Podcast store. And this morning, I made T-shirts and long-sleeve shirts that I call Just the Head, which is just the Dopey Head. Just in case you don't want to have have something that says Dopey, it's just the head. And I made long sleeves, I think, are 25 bucks, and short sleeves, I think, are 20 bucks. Um, and if you want one, I made a lot of colors. And if you don't, that's fine, too. Um, but I always wanted a just the head shirt. I think I'm going to get a black on black for myself. Also, I'm also just in the process of making new stickers. I just sent out a ton of... Uh, of sticker packages to people who Venmoed me for stickers. So if you're dying for Dopey stickers and you want the the basic ones, send ten bucks. Venmo it to Dopey Podcast. If you want the fancy ones, send fifteen. If you want to give more money, send twenty. I'll send more stickers, and that's Venmo at Dopey Podcast. Now I'm going to read an email, and this is from Tony. I don't want to say her last name, and I'm assuming it's a woman because it uh, because she spells it with an I. But maybe it's not a woman. I don't know. She says, Hi, Dave. I'm on a road trip from Texas to Kentucky, so I thought since I have 12 hours of sitting, I'll finally send in an email. First, I want to say I love the Dopey Nation. They are the family of misfits I've wanted slash needed my whole life. I love the woman, I apologize, I can't remember her name, who called in about using even though she was about to be a mama. That is my own story, and it was a dark one. One that I haven't told many about until now, of course, because I was so terribly scared of being judged or someone would look at me as the monster I once felt like. This shit is no joke. It grabs a hold of you tight and it doesn't let go no matter who else it's hurting. I just wanted to thank that young lady. Her story made me feel not so alone uh, out here. Almost all of my stories are sad, and I'm not one to bring a room down. I do have one story of the first time my friend let me meet the dealer. I had been asking for weeks, and she finally let me do it. When he pulled up, she gave me a wad of cash and told me to ask for 320s. Black tar. It should have been 60 bucks. I did, and we did the exchange. Then, as I was walking away, feeling all giddy, he yelled, Hey! I looked back then looked at her and her brother telling me to come on run i'm jumping in the car and we hear gunshots he was shooting at us apparently they gave me seven dollars and i was just so excited to meet him so i could start going straight to him instead of going through my friends and breaking them off i didn't even pay attention to how much cash they handed me he didn't chase us probably because we were right outside a major highway but needless to say i didn't get to go through him ever again on the flip side we had an extra 53 dollars that was the very beginning of a long and dark habit when I was fresh and naive and I was really scared. It's funny, the stupid shit I got myself into the next 11 years after that incident didn't phase me a bit. 
Crazy how that works, right? I love the show, Dave, and I'm so happy for you. You're doing such a great job. Stay strong and toodles for Chris, Tony G. I love that story. It's a classic dopey story. Um, I don't know if I've told the story on uh, the show before, but I think I have. When I was living in Los Angeles, I was living in a house with Todd and Jeremy, and Jeremy was in a play, and he always had this prop money around, and he had all these fake 50s. And uh, and I had just developed a dope habit, and uh, and the way we would cop dope. I think I told the story on the show in the beginning, and if I did, I apologize. I, I probably told the story two and a half years ago if I did. But me and Todd would drive down uh, to downtown L.A., and um, if you drive down there, I don't know how it is now, but you know, like I want to say ten years ago or longer. I want to say fifteen years ago. If you drove down there. Uh, it was like a drive-through. You drive up to the corner, and a bunch of Mexican kids jump up to your car, and you give them money, and you drive away. And um, and we drove down there, and we bought like twenty balloons or something for a hundred bucks, uh, but it was fake money, and it was like the greatest day of our lives. Um, and we didn't want to go back. I, I think we went someplace else the next day, but the money looked pretty fucking real. Um, if you guys have, I'm sure a lot of you guys have stories about beating dealers. Send in a good beating a dealer story uh, to dopeypodcast at gmail.com. And even better yet, send in a voicemail uh, on beating a dealer. I love beating a dealer stories. And if you're a dealer and you listen to Dopey and you got beat, send in a how I got beat by the junkie uh, story. That would be awesome. Now, I want to play a voicemail. This is a very serious voicemail, but it kind of reminds me a little bit of that email where it's like a guy who wanted to meet the dealer kind of thing. And this is one of uh, the dopey Twitter folks. Uh, we, we did a voicemail of his a few weeks ago. It's animistic, animalistic or animistic? I think animistic graves. And uh, it's a very serious um, voicemail uh, talking about suicide, really, or, or thinking about it. This story I'm about to tell is something I remind myself whenever I'm feeling suicidal. As addicts, using or in recovery, a lot of us don't want to live. Here's my story of the dealer I knew who shot himself in the face and lived. This was during my early 20s. There was a middleman or middle gal that I used to get oxys from, 40s and the 80s. The kind where you could suck coating off and shoot for instant release. This girl, who I would just say her name was Smashley, would always hook me up. But I could never meet the dealer. I kept pressing her, but she insisted that he doesn't want to be known or seen. I said, yeah, that makes sense. Don't want to get busted. After months of buying, she finally called me saying, he wants to meet you. He's heard of you. Knows you're a good guy. Crazy, but funny. I said, okay, that's fine. Do you guys want to come to my house? She said, yes. Then she paused on the phone. I'm warning you. Just don't look at his face too long. I said, what? She said, well, he is very ashamed. If you didn't know, we put a gun in his mouth and blew his head off. But he lived. That's why he gets oxys. That's why he doesn't deal with people. I said, hey, that's okay. So they came to my house. I opened the door. I welcomed them. Left side of his face was clearly fucked up. Reconstructive surgery didn't do much. 
So we all shut up, got high. Then I asked him, so why did you try killing yourself? Smashley looked nervous. He wasn't happy. He wasn't. He told me. I was so sick of my life. I couldn't live with being an addict. My life was going nowhere. So I went to the basement in my parents' house, put the handgun in my mouth and pulled the trigger. I must have missed because the recoil didn't hit my whole brain, just half of my one side. I remember waking up feeling wet. My eyes were so blurry I couldn't see. I tried to wipe the wet away from my eyes and then I remember this is blood. I didn't die. My suicide attempt failed. I felt so much regret. Whatever pain I was feeling wasn't worth what I had just done. Hear me. If you ever feel like killing yourself, don't. I really didn't want to die. I got a second chance. I awoke with blood and regret. To this day, I remember this tale whenever I feel like killing myself. I remember his story. He died years later. He was super high and fell downstairs as his head was very brittle. Literally, a punch to the head would kill him because his head was so smashed and fucked up. As for Smashley, she was involved in a fire that burned her whole body and had third-degree burns. I don't know if she nodded out or was drunk, or, but she caught up her, her apartment on fire, and, and she's alive, I think, and, I, and today, and she has a kid. She's a good person. I saw her a couple months ago. But, uh, so that's the story of Dopey Nation. Uh, suicide isn't the answer. It's an emotion that you feel, but please don't act on it. It will pass. It isn't worth it. Love you, Dave. Rest in peace, Chris. Stay strong, fiends. So that's Animistic Graves from Twitter. Uh, love the dopey Twitter people. Yeah, I would reconsider suicide if you guys are thinking about killing yourselves. I shouldn't laugh about it, but obviously if you don't kill yourself, you might find all sorts of other reasons to live. Um, and then there's this dude on Twitter named Justin who wanted a... Uh, a shout out and Justin from England, the guy who rambles, uh, he's always participating and he's always trying to like further the dopey cause. So thank you, Justin, for what you do. And he wrote a piece on us for, uh, the fix, which was great. Oh, and then the article on the fix came out, David Kono. He wrote some beautiful stuff about the show. Um, so thank you, David. Thank you, everybody. Before we go, we are hot on the the trail of our two millionth download, which is happening very fast, and I believe it's going to happen very soon. My dad has his prediction. I want to know your guys' predictions, and it's going to be, you know, I think the first ever actual dopey contest, which is predict the day and time of the two millionth download. And if you do, you can get either a short sleeve or a long sleeve, just the head shirt of your color. You choose. Winner's choice. So send in an email. Give me the fucking prediction of when we're going to hit two million downloads. And, uh, and before I go, I'm just going to read the Dopey Review of the Week. Dopey Review of the Week. Hold on. Let's find the Dopey Reviews. Hold on. All right, this review is from Big Kid Rye. It's from May 11th, 2019. He says, Dopey is my new addiction. Dopey the podcast about the podcast Dopey 
And this is a review about that podcast. Hands down, I love having Chris and Dave in my headspace. I first heard of Dopey when the interview of the baby gorilla Artie Lang. Shortly afterwards, we lost Chris. I went back and started with episode one. At first, uh, I was I wanted to listen and see if I can find any signs of Chris's downfall. I can't, but I can say I love this show more than Clam Chowder from Gloucester, Massachusetts. Keep your head up, Dave, and stay strong, Dopey Nation. ATD Ryan. What is ATD? I don't know. I have no idea what that is. If you know what that is, send me an email. Send in a voicemail. Stay strong, Dopey Nation. Thank you, everybody, for everything you do. And fucking toodles for Chris. I want to take a walk around the world. I wonder would it do me any good. Until I get some money in my pocket, then I guess I'll just have to walk around my neighborhood. But I want to be good so bad. So good, so bad, so bad. I wanna be good, so bad. Bad desires, all I ever had. And I wanna take a ride up in the sky. Watch this airplane just pass me by. And I wanna see a Lear jetliner take a dive. Just to show all of these people what it means to be alive. But I wanna be so good, so bad, so bad, I want to be good, so bad, bad desires all I ever had, and my shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to where I stand, shadow's getting smaller and smaller, and it's time to City far behind. I'll take the high road, however far it winds, because peace and love are very, very, very hard to find. And I wanna be good so bad. Wanna be good so bad, so bad. I wanna be good so bad. Bad desires all I ever had. Damn it, all these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And these suckers make me mad And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had 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 And these suckers make me mad And it's all I ever had And I want to call my dad And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had And it's all I ever had